I want God's way to be my way as I journey here below. For there is no other highway that a child of God should know. When the road gets steep and rough, if he leads me, that's enough. I want God's way to be my way every day. That's so true, Lord. I want your way to be my way every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can take your seats this morning. So I want you to open up as we continue in our study through the book of Revelation. I want you to continue or to open up in Revelation chapter 8. And I've called this sermon today, The Calm Before the Storm. The Calm Before the Storm. And we find it in Revelation chapter 8 verse 1, where John writes down under the unction of the Holy Spirit, instructed by Jesus Christ, these words. He says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an half an hour. Half an hour of silence. Imagine that. In heaven. As we are sitting here today, I can tell you there's things that we cannot hear. There's things that we cannot see and I thank God for that. If you could see in all the spectrums of sight you'll be horrified at things that you will see this morning. There are heavenly beings which, I mean, I said it a few Sundays ago, if you think about the living creatures around the throne with four faces on them, there are things that you will see that will keep you awake by night. So I thank God that He made everything perfect just as it is for us. And friend, if you can listen to all the spectrums in the sound bar, you won't be able to sleep at night. You won't have rest and peace. There is so much noise that's going on in the universe that you and I don't even hear. So when it comes to this particular verse, I can't understand it. I can't anticipate it. I can't think of something which is a constant noise, which is a constant activity going on, and then it's as if God says, silence. And for a an half an hour, there is silence. Now, I've, I've called this the calm before the storm. Because if you're going to read on and if we're going to study on today and see what we're going to see, there is a massive destruction coming on the earth. It is worse than the perfect storm that you can think about. Now, when I think about calm before a storm, it took my mind back when I was a young boy living on the high felt in South Africa, not on the Free State side, but on the Transvaal side. And there are certain people who will understand that in church today. But we know that in the Free State and in the Transvaal, there were these thunderstorms. You still remember those? And I remember as a young boy, sometimes when these thunderstorms come on, you can hear them in the distance, the rumbling, can't you? And then it comes closer and closer. And there's that anticipation with inside of you. Something happens when there's thunder. I mean, we've got thunder here in Melbourne as well. But as it gets closer and closer to you, you can even smell it. 
There's a certain smell about thunderstorms, which is fantastic. And I love that smell. And I remember standing there on a high field at your house and the storm is coming closer and, and you are in anticipation something's going to happen. And then, right before the storm starts, there is a silence. Have you experienced that? It's an absolute silence. There's no wind blowing. There's no thunder. It's just this, this it's hanging in the air. Anything can happen. And I remember as a boy, the first things I would hear is big raindrops hitting the earth. It makes a sound. Am I taking you on a journey here? It makes a specific sound. And you can actually hear the water when it hits the earth. It's, it's that as if it's in a big orchestra when that first instrument is starting to go. And then all of a sudden, it is a download of rain. It goes, and then the wind comes, and then the thunder comes. And it is all on. It's full on. Have you been in those thunderstorms? I love them. I absolutely love them. You know why I love them, dear friends? The Bible describes thunder as the voice of God. They can poke at God. They can look up at God. They can do whatever they want. They can make jokes about Him. But let me tell you one thing. Even if you're an atheist or an agnostic this morning, when the thunder of God comes, everybody quivers inside of them for the power that nature shows. And that is just at the hand of God. And here we find a similar thing that's happening. We find this calm coming on before the storm. Now, I want to remind you what happened before this calm. So, let's look first of all at Revelation chapter 7. What happened before we had this absolute calmness in heaven? In Revelation chapter 7 verse 2, we read about the sealed ones. We, we looked at them last week. But last week I didn't touch much on the sealing of these people. It says there in verse 2, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cry, cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, listen to these words carefully, he says, Do not harm the earth, the sea, and the trees, till we have sealed, till we have sealed the servants of our God, in their foreheads. You remember prior to this, it's talked about the four angels in the four corners of the earth holding back those winds of destruction. And then it came to this point where this angel coming and he says, do not do anything until, until the servants of God is sealed in their foreheads. How wonderful is it to know that God's servants will be protected by God. He protects His children. We've heard this morning that we are His children, we're His friends. And how much more will you protect your child than God will protect His people? These people had a specific purpose for them. We saw who they were. They were 144 Jews out of the tribes of Israel. And I said it last week that God has still got a plan with His nation, with His people. So before this calm and the stillness for an half an hour, and I'm going to touch on that for a, for in a minute or two, but before this happened, 
before this, there was these angels preparing for the storm to come. Can you see why I say it is the calm before the storm? Everything is sitting right for the storm to hit. But did you know, dear friends, that we are also sealed sitting here this morning? We don't know what kind of seal that was in their foreheads. The scholars say that it's the Holy Spirit, and I tend to agree with them that the Holy Spirit is there to protect them. And I must also say that these people who they were were Messianic Jews because they definitely had to start uh, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ through the world after that. That was their work to do. But here I want to say this, is that we are also sealed. Have you noticed? Did you know that? If you are sitting here this morning and you call yourself a child of God and you've been to the cross of Christ, you are sealed. And don't believe me. Let's have a look in the Word of God. Open up in your Bibles as we are going to do some work there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says in verse 22, Who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in your hearts as a guarantee. But look, friends, I don't want to take it out of context. So I want to put it in context. So I want you to open up your Bible. As we open up in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to have a look and read there from verse 15. In fact, from verse 15, I'll give you a little bit of background before we get to our verse. Paul explains from verse 15 that he could not visit the church in Corinth. He promised them. He said to them, I'm going to come to Corinth. Remember, he, he taught them in Corinth. And then he said to them, I'm going to come. And on two occasions, he couldn't go to Corinth. And then there were people coming in and they tried to to uh, discredit Paul and say, look, he's a man who's a yes man, but he's actually a no man. He promises, do you know people like that in the world today? The yes is not the yes, and the no is not the no. Well, these people came in there, and from verse 15, they, they say that he is that kind of person. There's stories that's going around that says he can't keep his promise. So Paul writes to them in this specific passage here to explain to them that he was going to come to them. But he couldn't. Something happened. Isn't that our lives as well? We plan to do something tomorrow and then it, it doesn't turn out that way. Although, although you've told people you're going to do that, you can't do that. The best thing to do is to communicate. Give him a call and say, I can't. But in those days, there were not cell phones around. It's not as if he said, bring me the apple. They would have brought him an apple to eat, but he didn't know about an apple phone. So it's not as if he could just call them up or send them a text or something. No, news had to go to them and say, he's not coming. So he, cle he clears this up for them. And then he goes down. I want you to look at verse 17. I, I'm getting to a point here. I want you to follow here. He says in verse 17, Therefore, when I was planning this, did, uh, uh, did I do it lightly? Or things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no. He's telling them, he says, look, if I say yes, it's yes. But the flesh, anything can happen. Then he goes on to explain to them, and, and listen to me, there's going to be a verse which I'm going to give you now, which is used so much out of context in our day that I want to correct with this. He then tells them in the next verse, he says in verse 18, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, look at verse 19, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, 
Sylvanus and Timothy was not yes, no, but in him was yes. So Paul is doing something which we need to take a lesson for. Paul says, look, if you look at my life, it needs to be evident of what the gospel is. So although you are disappointed that I couldn't come to you and people are going around and they say I can't keep my word, although they do that, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is yes and the gospel is true. Don't look at the gospel because you're disappointed in me. This is what he's telling them there. And now he says something, the verse, that is so often used out of context. Look at verse 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him are amen to the glory of God through us. Have you heard that verse before? How many times? <laughs> and you know what people do? They parachute into that verse. And they pluck that verse out. And they come around and they prophesy over your life. These self-professed prophets. And they say, but I've got a scripture for you. The promises of God are yes. But we need to understand what he's trying to say with the context. The context was that he couldn't go to them and they tried to spread a lie. And then he explained to them the gospel is yes and not no. But let's look at the verse deeper. For all the promises of whom? Of God in him. Who's him? In Jesus. This means that if God says yes, what does Jesus say? Yes. If Jesus says yes, what does God say? Yes. That's the context. It's got nothing to do for your best life now, promises. It is in context about the gospel. The gospel, friend, is pure, and it's true, and it's yes in Jesus Christ. This is why the promises of the gospel in Him are yes and amen. It's got nothing to do with a personal thing. It is the gospel. If you've got the gospel in you, listen to this. Your life, the gospel is yes. Your life needs to be a yes life. If you proclaim to be a Christian and you've listened to the gospel, then your life needs to show the fruit of what you profess to be. It is not the gospel is, yes, I went to the cross and I'm a Christian, but your life says no. You need to live what you say, who you are. He says there now in verse 21, he says, now he who has established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. Not only are you sealed, my friend, but you're also anointed if you're a child of God. And again, I want to correct something which people take out of context. You know, people go around and they say, anointing, anointing, anointing. And, and they go, I'm praying that God gives you a double anointing. Wow, if one anointing is good, what about a double anointing? And, and you know, they've got scripture for that, and I, I stand on that, because if you go back to Elijah and Elisa, it is Elisa who set a double anointing on him. But we need to understand what the anointing of God is. It is not a double anointing that you can do more miracles, although miracles is a small part thereof. 
What is the anointing he's talking about here? We have to understand when we go to the Old Testament, who was anointed. In the Old Testament, there's three groups of people who was anointed. First of all, it was prophets. And prophets, the anointing in the Old Testament, they threw oil on them and they anointed them physically. But that showed what? That the Holy Spirit came and worked through them. So the, the prophets was anointed. Who else? The priests. And who else? The kings. These three groups of people who got the anointing. Now the question is, why did they get the anointing? For this reason, for service to God. They did a specific service amongst the nations. The prophets came and what did they bring to the people? They brought the word of God to the people. They got the anointing of God in service of prophecy. This is why today's people who proclaim that they are prophets is not prophets. They haven't got the anointing of God in service for prophecy. You say, where do you get that? Because when I read and I go back to the book, book of Ephesians, he says that the foundation has already been laid and that's the prophets. They were anointed in service of prophecy, the priests. What was their task? They came into the temple and they had to work in the temple on behalf of the nation. So the priest will come in and they will do the sacrifices to God. For what? For a burnt offering and for all of those. And they were anointed by God in their priestly ministry. And what about the kings? The kings was exactly the same. They were anointed by God for the kingly ministry. Now, where are we sitting today? In the Old Testament, are we still having prophets and priests and kings walking around? Oh yeah, there's a few things they are. But no, I'm talking about the real ones. I'm telling you today, dear friends, today, what, is, what are we going to be in the kingdom to come? Kings and priests. But here he says, in this verse, Paul tells him, he says, Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He's talking about an anointing. What is that anointing? My dear friend, he anointed you and me for what? For service. For service. That's what the anointing is. So I've got no problem if you want me to pray a double anointing over you, but then you need to get busy in the service of God. Is that clear, clear, clearing out a few things? It's the anointing of God for service. Now, this is the thing. There's people who do a lot of work in the name of God, but they haven't got the anointing of God. They're doing it in their own self-power and efforts. This is where the Holy Spirit comes and He seals you for the anointing. You say, where do you get that? Read the next verse. Let's have a look. He says it there. He says, uh, verse 22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in your hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee. So I just thought I'll go down this line of telling you that if you are a blood-washed child of God, you are sealed by the Spirit of God, you're anointed for service. Do you think that He saved your soul just to come and sit in church every Sunday? Do you think so? No. Do you think in heaven is we going to lie under a tree for a million years? Or a billion or two? It's going to be so nice. Some people say that. I can't to retire. Wait to retire, brother, to the other life. Retire where? Do you know that you're going to work in heaven? There's a service to do. But it's not going to be as effort, uh, as, effort as on this earth. 
Turn with me just to another passage quickly. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, you also know that the anointing, you, you know, there, there's so many things here. I mean, I'd better hurry up to get to the study. But it, it, we need to cover these things as we go because the Lord shows it, you know, and, and we learn. And so often there's wrong things stored to people. Uh, in verse 13, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, it says, In Him, in Him, who's the Him? Jesus Christ. You also trusted. Now, I, I want you to look at this, actually. You remember when I gave you the, the three foundations of faith a few weeks ago? Notistia, which talks about the data of Christ, to know Him. Okay, and then Ascensius. Ascensius is to agree with that data. And then fiducia means I trust it with my whole life unto salvation. We find it in the scriptures. It's not something that I just dreamed up. Look at this. He says, in whom you also trusted. You see, that is the Ascensius. I trusted, or the fiducia. I trusted in God. After that you heard the word of truth. That's the noticia. That's the data of God. You, you heard the word of, of truth. The gospel of your salvation, whom you also after that you believed. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession and to the praise of God for His glory. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit this morning. How wonderful is that? Sealed and anointed unto service. Now, you are going to say, wait a minute, you are now preaching that we need to get back under the law and works. Of course I'm saying that you need to do the works, but listen to me, the works after the cross. The works after the cross. The service after the cross. I'm not bringing you back under the law, but you see, this is how it happens. This is the cross. Before the cross, people work so hard for salvation. That comes to nothing. That comes to nothing. Because salvation is a free gift from God. It's the grace of God. But when you come to the cross, He saves you. Now what happens? He anoints you and He seals you. The anointing to be a servant of Him. He anoints you to His service. And now there's works to be done. What is the work? Go and, go and, and, and declare the gospel of Christ. Isn't it wonderful? We are also sealed. So if we look at these people who are sealed, they are sealed for what? For the gospel. They were going to preach the gospel. There's something else that happened before the storm of Revelation chapter 1, uh, Revelation chapter 8. There was a worship service going on. Look at Revelation chapter 7 verse 11. He says, All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Can you imagine this worship that went on there? You know, we read passages in that chapter of thousands of souls standing before God. There's the 24. The church is there. And the angels are there. They all worship God. And then we get to this verse. In chapter 8 verse 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence for in heaven for about an half an hour. 
Can you imagine we, we sit here and we sing at the loudest as we can. We fill this place out with another hundred people in here. And, and Leonis plays that, that, you know, that keyboard and we all sing hallelujah. And we all, you know, it just happens, Andre. And all of a sudden we say silence. And you can't hear anything. You see, if I keep silent for 10 minutes, you're going to go, it's awkward. But there's silence for half an hour. Why? It's as if, the, as if there's a contemplation going on. Silence is a wonderful thing to have. And I thank God that He gave it to us. You know, somebody said to me one day when I was counseling, he says, can you just tell this voice on my head to be quiet? People are looking for silence. And here they found it. Or oh, here there's silence in heaven. Now let's read on now. He says, in verse 2, he says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with prayers and all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, we finished now the seals. The seventh seal was finished. Now, some people believe that now it continues on into the next ones. And it's, if you put it in a timeline, it just happens after each other. And then there are teachers out there who say, no, we've had the seven years with the seven seals. What we find now is the trumpets comes back and they give a little bit more clarity within that seven years. So you find the seven seals open, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, all in that space of time. So some of these things we're going to read about now is just going back to some of these seals that's opened up and it just clarifies it a little bit more. I guess it's like watching a movie when you look at a character coming along and the, and, and the director wants you to understand something about their early life and they, they reflect back in the movie when they was a child. And then when you understand that, you understand more in that particular scene why this person reacts like that. This is the way that I believe and that I hold on to as well. Some of these things is happened within those seals. Open up in the seventh seal just gives more clarity within those what happens there. Here we see a censor. And friends, what I think, the comfort I get out of this is that every prayer that we pray are caught up in heaven. Did you know that? We've got an intercessor in heaven, Jesus Christ Himself, who intercedes for us before the throne of God. We read more about these senses. This is only one that we read about. And I pray, and I pray with you. And, and look, there's a scripture verse that I uh, just want to read to you now, which you need to understand and have faith in your prayers. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. He says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that we, if we ask anything according to His will, what happens? He hears us. But there's a qualifying thing in that verse. He says, if we ask anything according to His will, 
I hear so many prayers of these days, people are asking things for their self-will. Oh Lord, if you can only give that to me today, I'll bless you for the, all the rest of my life. But it's all about me, you know, how to, uh, with things I want, Lord. No, he says here, uh, John writes down, he says, if we ask according to his will, we know that God hears us. And in verse 15 he says, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So friend, every time you go on your knee and you pray towards God, you know what happens? There's a petition that goes to God. You pray for your children, you pray for your family members. It's not as if God is going to forget about those prayers. They are all coming up into heaven. It becomes a petition. Have you signed a petition in your life? It means that I stand on that point. These petitions going to God every prayer you pray. But the key is, according to His will. According to His will. It's not just everything that you want here and there, you know, just for your self-gratification. And he says now that this angel had this golden censer, and then what happens with these prayers? He takes the prayers and throws them back to the earth. Now there's a lot of talk about whose prayers this is. Because at this point in time, where's the church? It's up in heaven. So he talks about the prayers from the saints, but we also know previous chapters that when he talked about the ones who were martyred, what did they cry out? How long will it be until our blood is avenged? Because an interesting thing here, friends, is he filled these prayers with a fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth. So what will come back to the earth? Fire. He threw fire from the altar and he threw it back to the earth. It's really interesting prayers. Now we find in verse 6, he says, So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. You remember the quietness in heaven? Now they're getting ready to sound. The angel has thrown that back. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Can you imagine that? Let me frankly say, no, you can't. Trees keeps us alive. Did you know that? It, it makes oxygen. Trees is wonderful. It's a creation. I don't see God in creation. You know, I don't say, oh, the tree is God. No, no, he created the tree. But friend, here is a catastrophic thing happening. The first trumpet sounds and he throws this to the earth. And, and this is extra. It is mingled with blood. He says, mingled with blood. Now, we need to understand what did he see. The, and, and remember, John is seeing things which he haven't seen before. He's trying to explain to you and me things sitting in 2017 on our level. And I thank God that he used symbols as well. Because a symbol withstand the age of time. But this is not symbolic, friends. This is actual things that's coming to this earth. This earth that some people love so much. They hug trees and they do funny things. It's going to be burnt. Look at it. A third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. And then the second angel sounded and some 
something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, John is looking at this, and, and all he can, he can put his mind to, remember we're talking with a human here trying to see heavenly things, and the only thing that he can compare it like, he says, like a mountain. You see the word there, like. He says it was like a mountain. But the problem here is, friends, that this mountain was on fire. It was on fire. Now, they couldn't see into space. Today, we can think that this is something like a comet coming, you know, a, a falling star from the air, from, from, and it's happened before. There are so many things traveling around in space. And while we are sitting here, I can tell you something this morning, friend. There is a big comet coming and it's heading for earth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit this earth. You say, wow, that is terrible to hear those things. And when is it going to happen? Read your Bible. <laughs> and they're looking. The stargazers and NASA and everybody's looking. And they name these things, and as, as they go around, they say, this one is on our way. Ooh, and that one nearly, it was a near miss. But there's going to be one coming on, and they make even movies about this stuff. They make movies about it. So they know what's coming, everybody knows what's coming, but still they live their lives as if nothing's going to happen. It amazes me, brothers and sisters. But then it shouldn't amaze me, because Jesus said, it will be like in the days of Noah. So while everybody's frantically running around looking at signs and everything and thinking this is going to be the day, that's going to be the day, that's going to be the day, I stand on Jesus' words. He says it's going to be like in the days of Noah. So what happened in the days of Noah? Well, there was a comet coming in the days of Noah. It was just called a flood. And the message came to him. He was a preacher of righteousness. He preached to the people, repent, repent, repent. Do you think they would have listened? No. What did they do? They give to marriage and they went on and they said, you know what, the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Life is going to continue on. Who's this crazy guy standing there building this ship, saying there's water coming? In that time, there was never rain on the earth. Never rain. Mist came and filled the earth. There was never a drop of rain that fell before the flood. So why did this guy talk about crazy things? Now you go out and you tell people there's a comet coming, it's going to collide with the earth. Yes, they're crying it out, but it is more for sensationalism these days than to get people to repent of their sins and come to God. And it's happening, it's coming. Now this is not that one. This is just a big mountain-like fireball that's going to be thrown into the sea and you see the sea became like blood. I don't know if you've seen all the photos when we sing, I put sea, more, nice shots of, of seas on there. It's beautiful blue waters. I've been to places. I've been to places in my short life and limited places I could go. And I've traveled on some seas. And if you look into them, it is the most beautiful things you see. You go a little bit higher, you see most different kinds of blue. That's going to turn into red blood. And then it says a third of the, the, the living things is going to die and a third of the ships is going to be destroyed. In Paul's day, the only ships they could see is these little fishermen ships and traders. And you know, these traders didn't. Today, how, how big is the ships these days? It's as big as a mountain nearly. 
A third of them is going to be destroyed. Then he says in verse 10, The third angel sounded, and a great star, you see, a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many died from the water because it was made bitter. The word Wormwood is bitter. It means bitter. If you go into Google, I've done it years ago, I think it was five years or six years ago, I've typed in the name Wormwood into Google, and there is actually a star out there which they are tracking, which they call Wormwood, which is on a collision path with this earth. So the things I'm telling you today, friends, is not a fable. It is not just symbolic. It's not only pictures. It is an actual thing that's coming for this world. It's coming. I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a positive message for this world. But it's a fantastic message for you and for me, friend. Because if you are saved, dear friend, God has got a plan and purpose for you. It's terrible that says, and many men died from the water. Many men died from the water, so they survived the blast. Have you noticed that? They survived when this hit the rivers and the earth. They survived when the great star fell into the water. They survived a lot of that, but then they died of the water, the bitter water. And again, I want to make it clear, friends, I do not personally believe that these are all pictures and symbol and needs to be symbolized. No, no, this is actual things that are happening. And I refer back again, when you go back to the, 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 the seven seals, we see this catastrophic events that happens at seal five. This gives us just a little bit more graphic example of how it looks. And then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, the third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and, and likewise the night. Can you imagine this? Again, no, you can't. We wake up in the morning, and what are we looking for? Sunlight. And we know, roughly... In winter and summer, it differs a bit. We know we sleep for, what, eight hours and the sun is there. Or if it's a rainy day, we know the sun is behind the clouds. And then we live our life during the day and then it becomes night. And what comes up? The moon. And the moon is only a reflection of the sun. So the moon is not giving light by itself. The sun gives light. It reflects of the moon to the earth. But here he says now, and a third of the sun was struck. It was struck. So not only on the earth, but also in space there's things going on. The equilibrium of God that he had there, which protects you and me today to this day, is, is thrown out. And it's not as if it is a chaos that God cannot control. I want you to understand one thing. There are certain people who say that some of these things talks about nuclear bombs. I don't believe that. This is instructed by God. God is not going to be just a bystander and see nuclear bombs pressed by a man who decides he's going to do that. No, no. This is a judgment of God coming. And here the sun is struck, a third of the moon and the stars. So now imagine yourself, there is not going to be a sun tomorrow morning at 7 or 8 o'clock. It's going to be three hours later. It's just as if there's this black darkness where you can't see anything. 
for a third or uh, two-thirds of a day. It's terrible, I, and, and that's not a time that I want to live in or want to try to get through. And have you also noticed it's thirds? You know, God could have destroyed the earth with that first mountain falling on the earth. He could have destroyed the earth with wormwood. I mean, if you think about this, wormwood hits the earth and bang, the whole civilization is wiped out. Can God do that? Of course He can. Friends, I want to suggest to you one thing, that He talks about thirds here, because God is still a gracious God. Even, listen to me, in His judgment. Even in His judgment. When this one stroke, it says that the moon, a third of the stars, and all of them. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. It is as if everybody, you know, I can, I can just think as if, if people are going to say, what else? What else is going to happen? We've survived all of these things. Then this angel flies through the midst of heaven and he's saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And next week, friends, we're going to open up chapter 9. And I'll tell you one thing. If you think this is horrifying, you need to see chapter 9. You need to see when these locusts are going to come out of the spit. And I give you a description of these locusts that's going to come out of the pit and what they are going to do to people. Friend, I know this is not, this is not easy to preach about, honestly. I... I taught through these passages so many times. I preached through this. It's not easy. Because he talks about destruction. You say, where is the comfort in this? The comfort is in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when I look at these passages, and I see these parts, and I see how all of creation suffers. Why? As a result of human sin. As a result of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden. As a result that you and I were born in with. All of creation suffers therefore. It's the result of sin. Now people might say, but look if these things is going to happen, surely, surely people are going to get saved. Surely people will repent. Surely when they see these, earth, you know, these, these mountains falling into the seas and they see wormwood, surely people will fall on their faces and call to God for mercy and for grace and to be saved. But it's not so. It's not so. We'll see that next week. I hear oftentimes people come up and they testify about their lives was such a mess and so on, and it's good. Then God, but not all is like that. I want to share with you one scripture and then we'll pray. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. He says, So do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Friends, God is so good for you today. Can I tell you a bit about that? How good is God to you today? How blessed are you today? Did you know that every heartbeat in your heart is dependable upon Him? And He still allows, He still allows your heart to beat for all these years. How good is God? Just the thought of that should bring you to your knees and thank Him. 
You're living in a good life. I know you want better. Everybody wants better, don't they? <laughs> you, you enjoy your car until you see somebody drives a better car. <laughs> but friend, he's so good to you. You've got a car to drive. You've got food on your table. You've got shoes on your feet and you've got a roof above your head. God is good. He's giving you health. I know you complain about a sore knee and oh, sometimes you wake up and, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching 50 years old. I, I promise you, when I was younger in my 20s, I was just like that out of the bed. I'm not there yet where I'm just putting one or two. No, no, but it's getting a little bit tougher. I must admit. But God is still good. He is so good to you, friend. Look around the world. Look at people how they are struggling and here you sit in a well-pleasing time of God. And here, here Paul comes and he says to the Romans, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. I'd much rather be led to Jesus Christ through the goodness of God than through trouble and tribulation and, and all of these kind of things. Is that what you want? Honestly, I want to ask you one-on-one -on -one this morning. You are resisting God so much. You are kicking against the goat so much. In the good time of God, what do you want? Do you honestly want God to leave you over to your own devices and then when you come to nothing, then when you've lost everything, is it then that you want to come to God? I want to say to you, do not count on that. Because the human heart is a resistant heart. I'll say that again. The human heart is a resistant heart. You say, where do you get these things in philosophy books? No. I read only one book. It's the Word of God. And we're going to see these people, the most difficult things comes upon their lives. One would think they cry out to God, but no. They hit their chest and show their fist and, and curse God. God is good. Now he says in verse 5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath. Look at this. Wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So here is a contrast for you. The goodness of God versus the wrath of God. You choose. You choose. While it is day, while it is now, why don't you call upon Him? You look at this, he says, the wrath of God, uh, the day of the wrath. We are reading now in Revelation chapter 8 about the wrath of God. The wrath of God. So now while it is good and the goodness of God is here, call upon Him. Throw yourself out before Him. The Word of God says He's anointed us to serve us unto Him. Cry unto Him. Say, Lord, Lord, use me as a vessel, as an instrument in Your hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. And Father, I am honest if I say it is a difficult passage to preach. Uh, for two reasons, Lord, as we look around us this morning, it looks as if nothing's happening. There are so many preachers who preach about this, Lord, and there are so many people who say, look around us, it's as if life is getting better, but it's not.
we know that what we can't see and what we can't hear, it's all getting ready for these days that we're reading about. Father, and I must confess today, man don't even know the time. The Word of God says that that day and hour only you know. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.